Amen. If you have a copy of God's Word, would you be kind enough to turn with me to Luke chapter 10? Uh, we'll be starting in verse 38 in a moment. Uh, would love for you to get there. Uh, we're so glad to see so many of you here. Thank you for being here on a holiday weekend. We know that there are probably a lot of people uh, checking it out on the live stream today, and we are uh, glad that you are watching wherever you're at. But we hate to tell you that you missed a really special day. Uh, today on a holiday Sunday, uh, we had Cash Sunday. Everybody who showed up got 100 bucks when they walked in. <laughs> Uh, so, sorry guys, uh, you picked a bad day uh, to be on vacation. Now listen, if you didn't get your $100 when you came in, see Pastor Brad after service. Uh, <laughs> get you fixed up. Uh, no, we are glad to see you here. It is a, it's a good day. It's good to be in the house of the Lord always. And uh, no, it's a busy weekend. Some of you maybe are going to be leaving afterwards today. Just be safe wherever you're at. And if you are watching from somewhere else, be careful coming home. We love you guys. And just excited to be able to gather around God's Word. We're here in Luke chapter 10. Uh, I will want real quick want to just again affirm what Pastor Brad said earlier. We would love for you to come back tonight. Uh, as we kind of have a special commissioning service for the Willingham family, we are, uh, it's, it's really, and I don't use this word, uh, you know, carelessly, I do use this word cautiously, uh, I would say it's a historic day for our church family to be able to lay hands on uh, missionaries that have been called and that we are going to get to send. So uh, if you are available this afternoon, again, I know it's a busy holiday weekend. This is the last Sunday they're going to be with us. Y'all come and let's just uh, uh, celebrate them and pray for them and uh, send them off uh, in, in that way. So please uh, come join us tonight at five o'clock. Well, we've been talking about what it means and what it looks like to seek Jesus. And we have kind of been all over the scriptures thinking about what our lives ought to look like if we are truly people who seek the Lord. And I can't believe this is the last week of this series. It has been, I think, really helpful. At least it has been for me, and I pray that it has been for you as well. But what I'm really hoping is that this won't be the end of your journey of finding out what it looks like to seek Jesus. But instead, that this would really kind of be the, the starting line of you living this life of what it looks like to seek Jesus with all of your heart. We started in the book of Haggai, believe it or not. That's a real book in the Bible. And we were in the book of Haggai, and we were invited by the Lord to think about our lives, to think carefully about the way we live. And the question was, are we really seeking Jesus, or are we seeking the things of the world? And then we went to Colossians, where we discovered that to seek Jesus means we set our affections and our thoughts upon him. So our hearts and our minds are set on Jesus. And when our hearts and our minds are set on Jesus, it ends up changing the way we live in every single area of our lives. And then we went to last week, where some of you uh, were just incredibly quiet and stared at me uh, the entire message because it was a beautiful invitation to joyfully surrender. But if we can be honest, that beautiful invitation came with a pretty direct confrontation, didn't it? And that confrontation is the reality that so many of us have kind of settled for what I called add-on Jesus, an accessory Jesus, instead of selling everything to obtain the treasure that is Christ. So my prayer is that all of us would be a people fully surrendered to Jesus, being all in for this treasure that we found. And really, all of this is going to culminate with uh, today's message. And really, we might should have started here. If I can just say that, uh, right? Did you know that uh, sometimes pastors are figuring it out as we go, just like you guys, right? 
And maybe we should have started here, but I think this is a really helpful reminder for us to arrive at today, because here's the reality. You and I are really good at taking a sermon series or a section of messages like we've just heard and say, all right, I've systematized this. I'm ready to seek Jesus. I know what I need to do now. We've been given all the facts. I've taken good uh, notes, and we are ready to seek him now. So I'm going to dive in and start doing all of those things. And I pray that maybe you do have a blueprint for what it looks like to seek Jesus. But if you go home today and say, all right, that's it. From now on, I'm seeking Jesus and seeking your own strength to make this happen. I've got some bad news for you. It's not going to be very long until you are right back where you started. If you self-surrender, what we called it last week, you're going to find yourself in a bad place. So what I want us to realize is that everything we've studied in the Word of God over the last few weeks has led us to this place where I want to just offer a simple and super clear reminder. Jesus reveals himself to those who seek him. Jesus reveals himself to those who seek him. We referenced Jeremiah 29, 13 on the first week of this series. It says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. And Jesus says in multiple places in the gospels, remember, ask, seek, knock, and it will be, the door will be open for you. Seek and you will find. This is the promise that we see all throughout scripture from the beginning to the end of the Bible. We see the Lord speaking to, blessing, and using people who would seek him. If you ever find yourself saying, Lord, use me. I know you find yourself saying, Lord, bless me, right? <laughs> Lord, just speak to me. God, I just desire to be used by you and to hear you and to sense your work in my life. Well, if you do, the promise of the scripture is that that will happen if you seek Jesus. Some of you may say, well, well I'm seeking Jesus now because a couple weeks ago you talked about, you know, uh, not living this lifestyle anymore. So I'm, I'm trying to be a better person now. I'm seeking Jesus. I'm coming to church more. I'm seeking Jesus. I signed up to help with VBS next year. I have plenty of time to change my mind before then, right? I'm seeking Jesus. I'm doing all the right things and not doing all the bad things. I'm seeking Jesus. And certainly, listen, not trying to negate that. I hope that a transformed life is the product of you seeking Jesus. The scripture has called us to do that over the last few weeks. But if you think seeking Jesus is about being good and not being bad, you've missed it. You've missed it. Jesus wants to transform your life in a radical way, but friends, that is a transformation that happens from the inside out. Transformation really is possible, but I want you to understand this morning that Jesus isn't after your works. He's after your heart. He's after your heart. And Jesus reveals himself to those who seek him. So I want to end our time. We've talked about a lot of complex things, some heavy things, some, again, confrontational and convictional things. But I want to end this series with just a simple reminder to seek Jesus, to stop what we're doing and worship Jesus so that we can experience the treasure. Let's read this text, then we're going to pray and ask for the Lord's help as we dive into a familiar passage for many of you. Here's what it says in verse 38 of Luke chapter 10. While they were traveling, he entered a village... And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. 
And she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. Let's pray together. Lord, would you help us today to make the right choice? Would you help us to choose the one thing that is necessary so that when, though everything else in the world may be taken from us and everything else may fall apart, that we would have the one necessary thing that we can never lose? Lord, help us today. By your Spirit, would you make your word clear to us in a way that we can grab a hold of it and actually walk out of here with it? We thank you for what you're going to do. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, Jesus is traveling, and this was kind of his custom. He would go into a town, and if there was somebody he would know, he would kind of almost make that his home base of operations as he would do ministries in these various towns. So he comes in to the town of Mary and Martha, friends of his that are referenced throughout the Gospels. And he comes into their home, and he's welcomed. And when, they get, when he gets there, we see very clearly two different reactions to the arrival of Jesus. One sister, by the way, this is a sister thing. Don't you read it and to get total sibling vibes, right? Like if, you, if you know, you know, right? Uh, there's, there's some serious sibling vibes going on here. Mary sits down at the feet of Jesus and is just listening, soaking it up, sitting there with Jesus. And Martha is immediately trying to get the, to, to work, making the home look ready for the better homes and garden shoot that was going to be happening there that afternoon, apparently. And she's trying to get everything uh, situated. She's being very hospitable. She is uh, getting things together. And you can almost sense in the passage that at first she's probably a little bit annoyed, right? It's like, oh, here we go. Classic Mary, right? Uh, she'll get up in a minute, though. Can you almost see this picture happening? She continues to do stuff, maybe like dust something right beside her, you know, uh, just that little hint, right? And continuing to do things, and then she doesn't get up till finally it reaches a boiling point, and Martha says, Hey, Lord, aren't you going to tell her to get up and do something? Now, to our American reading of the text, we almost think, wow, that's pretty, you know, gutsy of Martha to be like, hey, Jesus, tell her to get up and do what I'm doing. And when we look at that text, and you, especially if you have a church background, you've read this and heard this taught so many times that you're like, how in the world could Martha not sit at the feet of Jesus? How dare she? But what you need to understand is that for the original audience sitting here watching this happen, Martha's not the bad guy in this story. That whole room full of people there would be looking at Mary with the same eyes and the same judgment that Martha had. You need to understand that hospitality was one of the hallmarks of Jewish culture. I mean, we see this throughout the scripture. Like, they really, even a stranger showing up at your house would get the treatment that Jesus is getting here. But how much more would an up-and-coming rabbi get? So this is a big moment that culturally, religiously, there were expectations upon this situation that Mary was clearly not meeting. Martha, y'all, was doing her job. Anybody a fan of doing your job? I just, I feel good when I even say that phrase. My grandpa used to say anything worth doing is worth doing right. Brad, the first time. That's what he would say. That's Brad's, that's Brad's uncle there. So uh, we didn't listen very <laughs> obviously, right? <laughs> 
Yeah, like we do in our job. Like there were family expectations, religious expectations, cultural expectations, and Mary isn't doing any of it. So when Martha says, hey, Jesus, tell her to get up and get to work, most of the people in that room probably were like, oh, it's about time she said something. But Jesus does something that would have shocked every one of them. He, he turns the cultural expectation on its head. The cultural norm is out the window. Instead, he looks at Martha and he says, Martha, Martha, that double name is just an endearing, just calling to her heart. He says, you're worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice. It's not going to be taken away from her. I love the ESV's translation there. It says, Mary has chosen the good portion. Of all the things that you could pick, she has picked the best thing so so in a culture that says do serve work be productive fulfill your religious duty fulfill your obligation by being hospitable jesus commends the woman who does none of those things and sits down at his feet what is jesus doing here is jesus trying to challenge the jewish idea of hospitality is he trying to subvert uh, the jewish faith is he trying to say oh no you don't need to be hospitable anymore no, I don't think that's what's happening here. In fact, we know that even biblically, there are things that we have to do and that we're called to do in this life. If I was in my office right now, you'd probably send one of the deacons or trustees to knock on the door and be like, <clears throat> hey, pastor, it's 935. Traditionally at this time, you're preaching. What if I called from the inner sanctum of my office and said, Oh, brother or sister, I'm just at the feet of Jesus today. I can tell you what would happen. There'd be a special call meeting after the service to address it because there are things that we have to do and that we're called to do and that we need to do in this life. And as we've talked about the last few weeks, he indeed does call us to a transformed life and to a way of living that is in line with what he wants us to do. But, but here's what you need to understand and what I think Jesus is getting at in this text. Our doing flows from our being. Our doing flows from our being. The things we do have to flow out of who we are. So here's what this looks like. We don't just go about transforming our own lives. We don't just self-surrender like we talked about last week. Instead, all of our transformation, all of our spiritual growth, all of our leadership, all of our service, all of our worship happens as a result of being at the feet of Jesus. All of it flows from there. And when we're with Jesus... He changes us, and as He changes us, we, we grow to love Him more and know Him more, and that's when that transformation from the inside out begins to happen in our lives. So here's the simple call that you're going to see all throughout Scripture. Seek Jesus first. Seek Jesus first. And that's so basic, and I recognize that. You're like, wow, this is the culmination of this series? This is why I said perhaps I should have started here. But I think this is appropriate at the end because it's so easy to go through what we've gone through and say, here's what I'm going to do, here's my game plan, but if you miss this, you will fail. 
A life seeking Jesus, this is so just incredibly insightful. A life seeking Jesus starts with seeking Jesus. <laughs> it's so basic, but isn't it tough to do? I think it's incredibly complicated for us. All of our flesh and really all of the forces of the world seems like all of nature itself sometimes comes up against us seeking Jesus. But our being with Jesus is what leads to us being able to do Jesus things. Being with Jesus leads to us doing what Jesus wants. So Jesus is not calling out Martha's hospitality. Instead, he is inviting her to the good portion, the most important thing. And again, I want to just point this out. We've, we've observed this a few times over the last several months, but isn't it scary that you can do the right things and still get it wrong? You can actually be doing the right things and end up missing Jesus. That concerns me. But His grace is on display in this passage, and I would say it's on display this morning because He's here and you're listening to this message. Jesus doesn't say, like the sibling vibes I talked about earlier, He doesn't go, classic Martha, here we go, totally missing the point and just serving while I'm sitting here. How dare you? I'm the Son of God, sit down. He would have been well within His right to do that. He's Jesus. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he appeals to her heart. He lovingly invites her to respond to the invitation to be with him. So here's what I want us to consider on this last morning of this series. How is it that we can be with Jesus? What does it look like to sit at his feet like Mary in a Martha world of do, work, change, transform yourself, DIY spirituality? You can make yourself better. How do we let Jesus mold and shape us into who it is he wants us to be? Well, what we see in this text and what we've got to figure out a way to do in our world today is we've got to stop and be still. Already, some of you don't like that. The idea of stop is so countercultural, isn't it? What can I do to seek Jesus? <laughs> right? Like, even in our language, inherently, we talk about that. What can I do to sit at the feet of Jesus? Well, there's nothing you do. You sit there. Right? But what can I do? Give me some steps, Pastor. Step one, quit it. stop and be still it's hard in our day and age and some of you are like in all the times to talk about this pastor a holiday week in the summer it's go time and here you are telling us to stop and be still yeah friends in these seasons it's even more important to stop and be still if we're going to be with jesus it requires that we stop and we know from Martha's busyness, I mean, obviously, there was plenty of work to be done. And I've said this a few times already, but there were cultural expectations on her. There were religious obligations and expectations upon her. And from what we can tell, even family pressure and obligations. She was dealing with a lot of the same things that you and I would deal with. Well, how can I stop when I've got all these things and all the things need to be done? And if I don't do those things, I'm not even honoring the Lord. Aren't we good at moralizing our busyness? Oh, I mean, but the Lord would require this of me. 
I mean, Martha felt good enough about it that the Son of God, she was like, tell her, Jesus. And some of you today would say to me after this message, Lord, convict our pastor for that. Right? Oh, but I pray that we would all hear the Lord inserting our name into that and saying, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary had chosen the right thing. She refused to be distracted. She stopped and spent time with Jesus. And Jesus says she's chosen the good portion, the one thing that's necessary. In a world of choices, she picked the one thing that was truly necessary. So if we want to be with Jesus, we have to stop. But, but how do we stop? I, I want to just uh, really just throw this out there. There are a couple ways that I think we need to address this problem of things that stop us from stopping right so what is it that stops us from stopping first i would say this worldly distractions worldly distractions i I know that every generation thinks they're the busiest generation ever right but doesn't it seem like our world is just absolutely stinking nonstop today think of uh, musician ben rector he says it's spinning faster and cheaper than ever before It just feels like the world is going so fast and everybody that you interact with, I mean everybody, is busy. And I'm talking from retirees, I'm busier than when I worked, to the guy who's in the middle of the career, oh, busy. All the way down to teenagers, busy. You know, I'm in the select league and uh, found another coach came to me and said that I can be in the select, select league all we have to do is pay $300 a month and travel all around the country, but I got the talent to do it. It's a, sorry, I'm going to get in trouble. But man, I remember my teenage years. There were weeks where, I mean, like every day there were obligations at school and even, you know, for my family, that even all the way from littles to the oldest folks in here, busy is one of our key responses. And every time I say this, y'all get weird around me for a few weeks. When you say, hey, how are you doing? What's one of the number one answers you get from people? Busy. So some of you are going to say that to me in the next few weeks. You're going to be like, oh, sorry. (laughs) It's okay. It's a reality of our lives. We are a busy people in a busy culture. But here's what's weird. And can I, I'm just going to press in on this. I'm not even going to ask. I'm just going to press in on it. Isn't it weird that even when we're not busy, we feel some weird pressure to make it appear and seem like we're busy. Can we talk about this for a second? Here's my question. When did Martha-style living become a status symbol? Even for believers. I knew it was going to get quiet at this part. We feel important when we're busy. I'm so busy, I've got to run from thing to thing to thing because I'm so busy. I'm important. I'm I'm so important that I can't slow down. I can't stop because there's so much happening. My life is such a big deal. And again, nobody's immune to this. It happens to all of us. And I'm not even saying that you need to stop and quit a bunch of things, though I, I will just say that the pace our world tries to make us run is not sustainable. It's not sustainable. And teenagers in the room, young adults in the room, the sooner you can stop it, the better. It doesn't get easier. That myth of slowing down, right? It's such bogus. 
junk. Well, I mean, once we get past this week, it's going to get a little easier, right? Well, once we get, I mean, summer, once summer's over, we'll circle back and things will be, you know, a little slower. Well, once, once the school year gets going good, then we'll kind of get in a rhythm, then it'll be good. Well, once we get past the holidays, well, I mean, we're tired from the holidays. Like, well, let's recoup a little bit. February, we'll get together. And in my world, it's like Easter's coming, though. You know, for you, it's like spring break, right? We got, like, it never gets slower unless you stop. This world is going to keep spinning and throwing you around, and you're just going to be trying to hang on. The Lord invites us to slow down. But here's the wild reality of our culture today. Even when we're not busy, we like stuff something into every single free second of our lives. And you can't really talk about distractions and busyness without talking about technology. You know technology that was going to make life and work so much easier and smoother for everybody? Hadn't worked out that way, has it? Our phones and our devices have just become extensions of ourselves. The average American spends five and a half hours a day on their phone. And I know what some of you are thinking, because here's what I thought this week. Millennials. Gen Z. But y'all, there's a little thing on this thing. I have an apple. Some of y'all have, you know, the other things. <laughs> Your device has it too, somewhere on it, called screen time. Can I just tell y'all what I found out this week that's a little troubling for me? I'm pretty darn close to being an average American. <laughs> Not only are five and a half hours spent a day on these devices, Here's the other thing. The average American checks their phone 96 times a day. And again, we're talking average. I see people all around this room who've looked at this and been troubled for the first time. <laughs> Some of you were just like, just got real quiet. 96 times a day. And that's checking it. The average American touches their phone 2,500 times a day. Heavy users, over 5,000 times. I know this is a little bit kind of, you know, young man standing on the yard yelling, get off my yard kind of bit, but let me just say this. This is not healthy. This is not sustainable. And I think one of the reasons we struggle to sit at the feet of Jesus is because we have a generation going all the way up to my grandparents now who struggled with this. We have a whole generation of people sitting at the feet of their devices. I don't even have to be looking at my phone to, to be using it. I, listen, podcasts, YouTube videos, and I just listen to the audio of it. That's where a lot of that time on my phone comes from. But I'll tell you, I'm listening to something when I walk, when I drive. I even go to sleep about 90% of the time listening to something on that stupid thing. Some of you are like, pastor's got a problem. You do too. If you're going to judge me, bring me your phone and let's look at the deets. All right? I know, I just see it on some of y'all. I said millennials is a joke. You're trying to make it real right now. 
And I found myself the other day, this is a true thought that happened to me the other day. I thought, Lord, why don't, why don't I hear your voice more? And you know what the Lord just put into my head and my heart? When are you going to hear it? I mean, li- listen, we have, we have kiddos, and we try to put our devices away and interact with our kids as much as we can. Can I tell you, as soon as we can get all of them to bed, it's like, let's just look at something and be quiet. Amazing thing happens occasionally. You know what's really nice sometimes? I don't even know how it happened, just organically last week. It wasn't even a big spiritual decision. My wife and I had a talk for like 30 or 40 minutes one night. It was wild. Found out a lot about that woman that lives at my house. (laughs) My goodness. I mean, this has a billion applications, and I don't want to get too far away from the text here, but I do want to say that I think one of the biggest distraction points we deal with today is coming from our technology and the things around us, the things that are meant to entertain us and fill us all the time. Our busyness and, and the fake busyness and the noisy culture all around us distracts us from stopping and spending time with Jesus. Friends, we can spend time. Some of you are going to leave this message and say, well, I just don't have time to do what you're talking about doing, Pastor. Again, I want to push back and say, you do. If you took half the time that an average American spends on their device and spend it in God's Word, you could read the whole Bible 12 times in a year. In 12 minutes a day, the average reader can read the Bible in a year. You're telling me you don't have 12 minutes? If, if you're going to tell me you don't have 12 minutes, bring me your device when we're done, and let's look at the screen time together. It's not just worldly distractions, though, that stop us from spending time with Jesus. I, I want us to consider for a moment, some of you, just, y'all take a breath with me, we're moving on, all right? Some of you are still messed up. You're looking at your phone right now, trying to figure out how to stop looking at it. Come on, hang on. Because not only is it worldly distractions, but, but I think religious performance stops us from stopping. Religious performance is something that stops us from stopping. This one's sneaky, because I, I think that for so many of us, again, like we said earlier, we're doers. We like to do things. It's like, hey, tell me what to do to seek Jesus, and I will start to do it. And we want to take inventory at the end of the day and feel like we've done something and we've accomplished something. But here's the dirty little secret. Sometimes it's easier to do things for Jesus than to be with Jesus. We find our identity and our self-worth in the things we do for Jesus instead of who we are because of Jesus. Man, I was up there five nights working for VBS week. There were a hundred kids. It was crazy. We feel good about it. A couple weeks, I'm going to be driving down to Southeast Texas and preaching for 400 kiddos. That's a good thing I'm doing for Jesus. We love to do things for Jesus. We've got this Martha tendency in us. But again, this text reveals to us, church, that Jesus isn't after our works. He's after our hearts. He doesn't want our works. He wants us. He knows you, yet he still wants to be with you. 
that alone should make you want to stop everything and sit at his feet. If we do enough things, sometimes we think we can do enough to earn the love of Jesus. This is a weird thing that we do. If I'm Martha enough, I can be Mary. Right? If I do enough good things, then I can sit down at his feet and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. So I'm just trying to get that. Can I tell you why Jesus is going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, when you stand before him? It's not because he's taught Sunday school for a billion years. It's not because you tithed and because you're a good person. You know why he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant? Because Jesus Christ has washed you clean through his blood that was shed at the cross. And when he looks at you, you are going to be spotless, holy, and righteous, not because you were a good person, but because Jesus came down to save you. So you don't have to earn your spot sitting at the feet of Jesus. Yet, this is what so many of us do. Our sins have been paid for, yet we're running around trying to pay for them enough so that we can get some time at the feet of Jesus. And if we've been sinning, we for sure aren't going to go sit at his feet because we've got to get cleaned up before we can do that. The only way to be transformed is to sit at his feet. Stop trying to earn what he has already given to you. He invites you to come and sit at his feet. And when we try to do things on our own, we mess it up. We make our life more and more of a disaster when he invites us to stop and be still. So many of us today are running around trying to earn what's already been given to us. But Jesus, with his amazing grace looks at you just like he looked at Martha and he says son son daughter daughter you're worried about all kinds of stuff you're stressed out and exhausted and worked up about everything you're killing yourself trying to earn what I already died for you to have stop and be still Take the good portion that's been given to you. Stop your religious performance. Sit at my feet, worship, and be transformed. Some of y'all need to hear this today. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the first time in a while, you need to be reminded, Jesus really loves you. Not like a future version of yourself that's better than you are right now, Jesus loves you right now today in the middle of your mess and he invites you to sit down at his feet and be forever changed but in order for that to happen you've got to believe that he really loves you there's a lot of religious Marthas in the house today that are so busy trying to earn his love that they've not truly experienced it in a long long time but if you want to seek Jesus, you got to stop and sit down. You got to stop and sit down. I don't want to just leave this in a weird mystical place because some of you are like, I want to do that, Rusty. Give me the map. Where is he? Right? I want to tell you what it really means and looks like to actually seek him. And it's hard to do this. And the reason it's hard is because we're kind of talking about this heart position and inner disposition that we talked about in Colossians 3 
Really, the way we seek Jesus is to have a heart and a mind that are set on him. And it's hard to really articulate into words what that looks like. The call is just to sit down and experience that. But I do just want to lovingly tell you that I think one of the primary ways that we have this interaction with Jesus today in our lives in 2023, where we cannot physically go and sit at his feet, is to hear his voice through the word of God and to share our hearts back with him through prayer. Now, I'm telling you guys, I feel like a JV preacher almost every time I preach because it feels like every application comes back to like, hey, maybe you guys should like read the Bible. Hey, I've got this radical idea I want you all to try. Pray. Oh, but how our lives, our families, and our church would be radically transformed if a group of people took that call seriously. When I was in middle school, our youth pastor on a Wednesday night, growing up in a little country church, we had probably 15 people there on a Wednesday night, and our youth pastor rolls in a cooler and sets it there at the front of the room, and he opens it up, and it's full of what you uh, Midwesterners call pop. What I just call Coke, Dr. Pepper. I mean, Dr. Pe is there anything else other than Dr. Pepper? But anyways... <laughs> And I, I grew up in a home that we did not keep, you know, that, those products around. So for like seventh grade Rusty, that was a big deal. And here's what Brother Todd said. Brother Todd said, if any of you will read your Bible every day this week. Actually, I think he just asked us a question. Has anybody read their Bible every day this week? Nobody said a word. And he opened that up and said, if you have, you can have one of these Dr. Peppers. Now, listen, I, Todd and I haven't talked in several months. So, Todd, if you watch today, I'm not uh, shoot, taking shots here. I'm not sure if that's the best strategy for uh, getting kids to grow spiritually. All right. I don't know. Like, hey, let's dangle something over the head. Maybe they'll do it. But here's what I got to tell you. Seventh grade Rusty was like, I want a Dr. Pepper. And I'm not going to lie for it. So what I did the next week, every day I read my Bible. And that next week, that was a good Dr. Pepper. <laughs> then he upped the ante. I'm pretty sure at some point it was like a Dr. Pepper and a zebra cake. And I'm just living my best life <laughs> digging in God's word. But, but here's what I got to tell you guys, and as ridiculous as this might be, this is true. It really was the beginning of my spiritual awakening. I knew the Lord already. I'd been saved, and I knew that I knew the Lord. I knew that my salvation was secure, but I didn't really have this daily relationship with him. And all of a sudden now, and I got to tell you, it wasn't a, I didn't like come in the next Wednesday in a fishing shirt with a name tag that said Pastor Rusty, all right? with a seminary degree that's not how it happened it was a long growth process but that is what started it in my life and here's what i want to tell you today friends from seventh grade to a couple of weeks ago every single revival in my life has started when the lord in his grace reminded me that i wasn't spending time with him and i ran back to his word and i ran back to time with him in prayer this is a true story like literally two weeks ago i'm trying to get all these messages done and it's been a lot you know summer's been busy a lot of our staff's out with different things going on summertime is summertime around here and it's busy and i'm writing these messages not only for you guys i'm going to be going to a camp in july and preaching this same series for them about what it means to seek jesus and man i was wrestling with this message i'm thinking how do we wrap this thing up 
I mean, it's been such a good series. Like, you guys have just given me such encouraging feedback. And, like, every week, people, I've had two or three times people have been like, that's the best message you've ever preached. And I'm like, huh. Then the next week, somebody told me that again. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I've peaked. <laughs> right? There, there is no way. <laughs> like, what do I do now? And I was stressing about what this message was going to be. And I got to tell you, I have a whole other one written that I think was Chef's Kiss. It was pretty good, right? And I just, it didn't feel right. Last week, I, I was, you know, I even sent it to Mallory. I don't do this every week. Y'all always tell me that Mallory writes good sermons, and that's, that's true. But this week, I sent it to her, and I'm like, hey, is this okay? And she was like, no, it's good. I think it's great. And even that, like, I'm just still restless. And I was like, I just don't feel like I'm where I need to be. And can I tell you that in the midst of that, the next morning, I'm sitting in my office here one day last week. And I just feel like I had that same kind of moment that Martha had where the Lord just said, Rusty, Rusty, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Choose the good portion. It won't be taken away from you. God loved me enough to remind me that he reveals himself to those who seek him. So I do hope that this series has been a blessing for you. And again, I know that it has for me, and I'm praying that God has given you some, even some practical tools to help you on this journey of seeking Him. But, but I'm hoping that no matter what you've thought about, no matter where this journey is taking you, that you remember at the end of the day to seek Jesus first. Because that changes everything. Seek the treasure that is Christ every single day, and the way that starts is at the feet of Jesus. Isn't that really where everything starts? Everything in your life should start at the feet of Jesus. You want to have a healthy marriage? Take your marriage to the feet of Jesus. You want to raise godly kids? Take your kids to the feet of Jesus. You want to have a work life transformed? Start at the feet of Jesus. And when we do that, when we seek Him, everything changes. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your grace that comes and reminds us that we can sit at Your feet. And God, we thank You for Your Gospel that, that gives us the, the invitation and the opportunity to be a people who sit at Your feet. Apart from Your Gospel, Lord, we don't have a shot. But because You love us, you died on the cross to pay for our sins. You have made a way for us to be right with you, and we thank you for that, God. So I pray, Lord, that as we even think of the cross as we've worshipped and as we'll come in a moment and think about that, I pray, God, that you would just prepare our hearts for what you want to do. Thank you for calling us to sit at your feet. 